Hello, you join us pitch side at the Stade de Genève. I've come here with the podcast producer Claudia to examine the playing surface. There's a pitch inspection before every professional game. We're here though to do something a little different. Let's call it a trade inspection. Come on, my girl, it's a pretext. We want to see our local heroes, these vet players, train and they are not even here today. Um, so what am I supposed to do? Just record the grass growing? That will make for good radio. Partez du terrain, s'il vous plaît. Partez du terrain, c'est interdit. On part du terrain. Merci, merci, il faut partir. What did he say? He doesn't sound very happy. He told us to get off the pitch. He told us to leave the pitch. Yeah, they've had a few problems with the pitch over the past few years, so I guess it's understandable. Um, I know just the person that we can speak to. Uh, Michael, aren't you forgetting something? Oh yes, here you go. Welcome to the Trade and Pitches episode of the Trade Goals podcast season, a production by the World Trade Organization. My name is Michael Roberts, and in this episode, we will talk about the science, services, goods, and trade across borders, and even the gender politics associated with creating a perfect football pitch. We'll look at what makes a good pitch from the perspective of players and from broadcasters. Welcome to the complex world of international trade in seed and turf. Without trade, professional footballers would still be rolling around in the mud on rainy match days. So let's talk trade. Bienvenue à tous au Stade de Genève. Welcome to everyone to uh, Stade de Genève. You picked a, a fantastic day uh, to join us here and uh, fantastic uh, English weather also here in, in Geneva. Is that really the Philip Senderest who played for Switzerland? Thanks very much, Philip. You would know, of course, having spent a lot of your playing career in England. So I guess you've seen many days like this. Um, you've also played in a lot of leagues in Europe and in the US as well. Can I ask you what's the best pitch that you've ever played on and what made it so special? There's some iconic pitches that I've played in and, and stadiums. I would say the quality of the pitch at the Emirates Stadium in at Arsenal has always been famous. It's won many uh, awards of best pitch in England and, and probably also in Europe. But it's an iconic stadium and the pitch is just immaculate. What do you look for now in your new role as director of football in terms of the pitch? What qualities do you want that pitch to have? What makes a good pitch for a top-level player? For a top-level player, the quality of the pitch is very important. It just depends on the type of football you want to play. So we want to play a passing type of football. The ball needs to be rolling on the pitch fast. So the pitch needs to be cut quite short. The pitch needs to be flat and it needs to be watered. Uh, that's very, very important for the football to be slick and fast. And you need more than just the, the, the rain that's coming down in Geneva this morning. Yeah, there's all sorts of things that um, gardeners and pitch keepers uh, use to keep the pitch uh, immaculate. And um, yeah, I, I don't know all the techniques, but uh, I, I do see uh, lights, I see fans, I see um, a lot of machines going on the pitch and I know that there's a lot of work that goes on. And that's also important for player safety and health. Definitely. You know, playing on an uneven pitch or, or where the grass is too high, it, it becomes dangerous. Uh, for articulations and also for getting stuck in the in the grass. But obviously, if you want to know more about uh, the pitch, you can speak to Pierre-Yves Bovigny. Uh, he'll be able to answer in more detail. Fantastic. We'll do that. Thank you. 
As you've heard, Philippe sets the bar high for the pitch that he wants to see his team play on. So let's follow his advice and hear from Pierre-Yves Bovigny, a specialist for pitches at the Swiss Football Association. We discuss the challenges of delivering a high-quality playing surface. The pitches all over Switzerland have to meet the same standards. So how do you certify and test the pitches for quality? Since 2016, we uh, put in place in Switzerland the, the program of football pitch quality. And every year in November, for the two first professional divisions, we test five agronomic characteristics, the permeability, the evenness, the water infiltration, the hardness of the, of the pitch, the, the cover, cover of the grass, and the, 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 the shear resistance of the, of the soil. And what happens when you when you find problems with the uh, with the pitch we have a meeting then with a group of experts and uh, we send some requirements to the to the club usually they have one year to change the pitch to renew the pitch or to correct the, the problem and that can be very expensive it's very expensive the pitch construction is approximately 1 million 1.5 million just to change the pitch it's approximately 500,000 but it depends what you change the pitch it's very technical. It's a requirement in Switzerland for the first division. We have a heating soil system. It's an obligation. And we, uh, we have uh, artificial light to bring some light during the winter. And this requires a lot of labor as well, a lot of people to, to maintain the pitches. A lot of labor, a lot of knowledge. For example, in England, approximately between four and six people are full time on the pitch to maintain the pitch. In Switzerland, it's between one and two people. But it's a full time job every day. All the time you have to watering, to maintenance, to feed the grass. And at the competition level, the most important thing is the look and the feel of the pitch. It's not prescriptive as to how you should arrive at that look and feel. Is that correct? The television pay very, very much to broadcast the, the, the game. So they have very high requirements. So one important thing is to have a very nice looking pitch. So for the color, the requirement is a deep green, a really green, not a light green, but the scale is very, very wide. <laughs> the Stade de Genève has had some problems with the pitch. It's a natural grass pitch. Um, could you explain what the problems are and why they have arisen? Well, the Stade de Genève has a long story with the pitch. They changed three times the pitch. In Geneva, they use volcanic sand. When you use volcanic sand, you don't have any natural life in the soil to, to degrade the organic material. So the organic material increase, increase, and you have to remove it with uh, some machines with the maintenance. And volcanic sand and uh, seed, do those come from Switzerland or are they imported from elsewhere? We have to use quartz sand and it doesn't exist in Switzerland. We don't have this kind of sand. It comes from France or Italy and it's expensive because of the transportation. What about the grass? The grass grow between 6 and 28 degrees. But below 6 degrees, we have a winter sleep and over 28 summer sleep. And, but the real scale of growing, it's between 10 and 20 degrees. So uh, we, we, when you use grass from the South Europe or other part of the world, it begins to be in winter sleep, if I want to say like this, uh, since October. When the grass goes to sleep, it changes color. Is that correct? Exactly. It becomes 
yellow, like a, like a death plant, and it starts again in the next spring. So in some stadiums, south of France, Italy, or Spain, they use two different types of grass. This grass from South Europe during the, the, the summer season, and they overseed with English ryegrass, for example, in September, to have a green pitch during the winter time. Okay, I'm starting to see the connection to trade here. If you don't have the right type of sand, you need to import it. But what about the grass? There's really no shortage of it in Switzerland. Think of all those lush green alpine meadows in summer. Why can't you simply use that, a local product? Alpine meadows are good for cows, but they won't make footballers happy. There's an incredible amount of science and work going into the creation of the perfect football pitches. And it all starts with... Money. Seeds. I had an interesting conversation with Daryl Ziver in Canada, one of the foremost global experts in the grassy business, to find out more about seed production. I am the chair of the Forage and Turf Advisory Group uh, for the International Seed Federation. So the International Seed Federation is the voice of the, of the seed industry, and they have advisory groups set up on a crop-specific basis. Is there just one type of grass that would be used on a football sports pitch? There are certainly uh, a few different types uh, that, that can be used. And I think it, it would depend on, again, where the pitch is located, which region and, and the growing conditions. But our most common species would be, uh, you know, perennial ryegrass and then also uh, Kentucky bluegrass. Those are two of the two of the main species. And in some cases uh, where you would be in a warm season area, there may be other types such as uh, Bermuda grass used, which is a warm season. How long would it take a new seed variety with a particular characteristic to be developed and then to go through all the steps that it would need to go through for regulatory approval? The average timeline for development or for, for selectioning and the breeding process would, would take approximately 10 years. Now, that's just to get from the beginning to, to where you have a product where you think is possible to commercialize. Then after that, it will likely take another five years to commercialize to get that product ready for commercial sales. That's an incredible amount of time. Wow. You need to take those small amounts of seed, plant them in the fields with, with the grower under a, a production in a certain production region, and then it may take 12 to 18 months before the crop is harvested. Seeds are living things and, and they need to be nourished and, and handled through a, a production process and they're subject to environmental conditions. Okay. Got it. But not all this grass seed will be going for use in football pitches, though. It will probably be a tiny fraction. There can't be that many pitches worldwide. We don't know how many pitches there are worldwide, but FIFA commissioned some research with the International Centre for Sports Studies in 2018, and they estimated there are some 15 million official matches played every year, and that's 300,000 per week. If you thought the production side was complex, Claudia, wait until you hear about the trade side of it. I spoke to Rose Sousa Richards at the International Seed Federation. Her federation represents over 7,500 companies in 80 different countries. Hi, Rose. Your membership accounts for 90% of global seed trade. How much is that trade worth in any one year? Well, based on the latest data, 42 billion. In Total global seed trade in, in total global in one, yeah. in one year. international commercial seed market. And and how are they traded? How are the seeds traded? Everything is done not just from one country to another country. It's very much seeds are moved between many different countries. 
depending on the type of seed, if you say vegetables, for example, it can be going across at least seven different countries before it comes to the country of sale. This is from the country of production all the way to the country of sale. So re-export, which is that activity that's happening between, that is very common on the seed industry, where we have specific activities like seed treatments, mixing in the case of grass seeds, and some seed testing. So this is why seeds normally are re-exported and then go to other different countries, to different uh, markets, because the market is segmented. And where does grass seed fit in this picture of global seed trade? Well, grass seed is global, just like all the other seeds. We do have five big players on the world in terms of uh, grass seeds. So United States by far is the larger producer. And then we have Europe, Canada and New Zealand. They invest a lot of money on developing their seeds. So there is a lot of uh, R&D research and development. And sometimes, depending on the company, it can go from uh, up to 30% of the investment just on research and development. So it's a very highly specialized commodity seed as a whole, and that includes turfs and grass seeds as well. Can you talk about the regulation of this area? What would be the, typically the, the domestic rules that a seed manufacturer in the, in the sports turf area is going to have to consider and comply with? There is a number of regulations and the part of my role in ICF is the phytosanitary regulations. And these phytosanitary regulations, they are very specific, which are the pests, which the, the country is more concerned about. So they're at the level of a, of a sports pitch, say, for example, in a stadium in Europe or in North America, the concern would be that importing the seed could lead to either a nematode, like a worm or something, or a fungal infection getting into the field and creating problems for the pitch surface. That's exactly what, what the phytosanitary regulation is about. So every time seeds moved across the different world, and this is turf seeds as well, they will need to meet these phytosanitary requirements of each different country. But on top of that as well, the seed companies need to meet the quality and what the clients would like. Are the same safety, phytosanitary rules in place all over the world, all of the members of the WTO? Do the same phytosanitary rules apply everywhere or are they different? They are different. And this is a huge challenge for the movement of seeds. Different countries will have different levels of how they implement the phytosanitary regulations. But what we have seen a trend coming is that it's getting more specific, more restrictive, and less harmonized. Sometimes what we experience is that for the same test, different measures across different countries. So what you've done as a seed company with your turf seed, if you needed to, uh, to send your seed from country A to country B, and there is a regulation in place that you need to do field testing for one pest, the, the other country will say you need to do a seed testing. This is the same pest. So there is this disharmonization. So how predictable is the regulatory regime that um, a sports pitch seed exporter will have to navigate? It's very unpredictable, I'm afraid to say, because what's happened is we have seen more and more, I'm not sure if it's a lack of understanding, maybe a lack of knowledge of some of the international standards, international agreements. And what is happening is that there is sometimes a disconnection between the customs and the policy. So sometimes they don't even understand their own legislations. And what we would like to see is more predictability, more harmonization. Predictable, stable and transparent trade. That's exactly what WTO agreements seek to make possible. Two that Rose referred to in our conversation 
where the Agreement on Sanitary and Phytosanitary Measures, or the SBS Agreement, and the Agreement on Trade Facilitation, or TF Agreement. The SBS Agreement seeks to improve predictability by encouraging governments to base their national measures on international standards, like the International Standard for the Movement of Seeds, developed by the International Plant Protection Convention. That's a body that is housed at the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization. The TF Agreement aims to increase the predictability of border clearance, including by expediting customs and other border agency processes for perishable products. In Rose's view, proper implementation of these two agreements would go a long way in harmonising the movement of seeds across borders. But back to football pitches in particular. So for an exporter of grass seed trying to go into a country that's trying to develop a football tournament for the first time, say for example a, a new host of a mega sporting event, they, one issue that they're going to have to think about is their phytosanitary regulations. Absolutely. You need to make sure that you meet all the requirements of the countries that you will be moving the seeds for. It can be quite long, this list. I'm sure producers of artificial pitches stand ready to jump in here. Cheaper, greener in terms of the look. Let's listen to what Pierre-Yves Bovigny, the football pitch quality and construction expert, had to say about the question of artificial versus natural pitches. For the players, the natural pitch will always be the, the best. I never see a professional player say, I prefer artificial pitch. Except the youth, they always play on artificial pitch. Since 2004, the FIFA authorized the artificial pitch to the highest level. You can play the World Cup on artificial pitch. But in many professional football leagues in Europe, it's forbidden to use artificial pitch. In England, for example, the four first uh, division, it's forbidden. In, in Germany, the three first division, in France, the two first division. So, with international players who only play on natural pitch, will, they will never play on artificial pitch because when you change from, nat from natural to artificial pitch, you have a highest risk of injury. So all the international games or the World Cup will play on natural pitch for this reason. Time to speak to Carrie Sowetnik, a former Canadian pro soccer player, about how the issue of artificial grass became a hot topic at the 2015 Women's World Cup. Carrie, can you introduce yourself, please? My name is Carrie Serwetnik. I am from Canada. I was the first woman in the Canadian Soccer Hall of Fame. I've played soccer all my life and I'm grateful to be here. Thank you. It's a real pleasure to have you on the podcast. There's a lot more attention to women's football now. Cast our minds back to the Women's World Cup in 2015. That was held in Canada. Can you Give us a little bit of uh, an idea about the excitement that the tournament generated in the run-up to the kickoff. People were excited. World Cup stage was coming to Canada for the first time for women throughout the country. And so for sure it generated, you know, a positivity, excitement. Every single time there's a World Cup, it sends a message to girls and women throughout the world, whoever's just listening for a moment, even if they don't like soccer, that, wow, the, the women can play. Wow, they can have a, a big TV audience. Wow, they, all these people are showing up to watch their game. Women's football is big in Canada, but your concern was that this wasn't translating into financial support and equal treatment with men's football. So you started a campaign, Equal Play. Can you tell us how that came about? 47% of players are girls and women. I just think that 
they're sort of second class in terms of the sport. You know, there were so many complaints of not getting good time on fields, getting poor fields. I was shocked so many times when I've just happened to run into people on the national team and they were still fighting over trying to get just a little bit of pay. They were fighting for just kind of eco access. When our men's team was terrible, like they've just qualified recently for the World Cup, but they hadn't qualified in 36 years. They were dismal. Like they were just like the worst team possible. No one in our country knew a single player's name, right? There was so bad. And then here, the women were the opposite. They were like these heroes. They held a high esteem in our, our country. And the men were still getting paid more. So that's where equal play started. And because I was doing that work, when FIFA or Soccer Canada decided to just use artificial turf for the Women's World Cup, it just seemed incredible. All of a sudden, it was like we were just kicked back. It had just been like, no, you're not good enough. You're not important enough to play on grass. So to me, it just declared how little they cared about us, how little they cared about putting artificial turf down for the women's final, because it was just easy. The stadiums had artificial turf. Why do anything more? Why spend more money? Why? Why? Right? So together with a group of players from other countries, you filed a lawsuit against FIFA in Canada's Court of Human Rights, citing risk of injury and gender discrimination. Is that correct? Well, it was the United States that pushed it. The United States was already a force. They'd already won World Cups and Olympics. So the battle came from them. And of course, anyone who's played soccer knows the grass is such a beautiful substance that when you're playing on a nice surface, the ball is going to be moving exactly, you know, with this sort of feel that is great for you as a player, right? If you fall, you're not going to have half your skin left on the turf. You know, the, the running and jumping and landing, all those little moments are so much better on grass. There's something about showing up in a stadium and you can kind of feel the nature, the grass, right? Like it, it feels, it feels good, right? And so when you come in, it's this artificial surface. It's like you're going to the mall or something, right? And so of course the Americans complained about the surface and, and thanks to them, it started a subject. In the end, the litigation was not pursued. It was perhaps more symbolic than practical and the football authorities got the message. Let's hear how the discussion that Carrie and her colleagues started in 2015 has evolved. Roy Santana, our market access expert who you heard from in our previous episode on footballs, spoke to Victor Umania. Victor organised the recent Women's Under-20 World Cup that was held in Costa Rica. Claudia was with Roy. I think she's really warming to the sound of grass growing. As Victor explains, the distinction between what is an artificial and what is a natural pitch is not so clear. Enter the hybrid pitch. Yeah, my name is uh, Victor Umaña. I am the CEO of the FIFA Under-20 Women's uh, World Cup that was held in Costa Rica during uh, August 2022. In terms of the football pitch, did you have to import seats or anything else for you know preparing the field? The pitches were um, a, a big part of the organization, really. We converted the pitches into 
uh, hybrid pitches. This means that they were natural turf, but then we imported a machine from the Netherlands. It's a big sewing machine, container-sized, and the machine stitched the pitch with synthetic fiber. We did this in February last year. That was a challenge to bring this machine, bring the persons, bring in the personnel that was going to stitch the fields. Because I imagine you require somebody very specialized who knows how to use the machine. Yeah, yeah. It was a crew of 12 people from the Netherlands and the UK. They stayed in the country for three weeks, stitching the fields. It was a very interesting operation. They had to send first all the inputs that they, they needed, uh, the, the big rolls of this fiber, of this synthetic fiber. So they had to come in first. And then we had to arrange all the permits for the machine to get into Costa Rica, this temporary importation of the machine. Also, we have to deal with some visas for the for the crew. Um, uh, can I pitch pitch in here? Um, <laughs> Claudia is also obsessed now with the pitches. Yes, yes, it's infectious. Um, Victor, one question. So I, I gather it's it's not artificial pitches, but natural pitches or hybrid pitches. Could you could you elaborate on that, please? Well, yes. Uh, now uh, FIFA tournaments are mostly played on natural pitches, you know, natural turf pitches. However, since the last 15 years, there have been some uh, advancements, technical advancements in pitch maintenance. And the most recent innovations are the stitching of natural pitches with synthetic fibers. What this does is that uh, the synthetic fiber comes in like 20 centimeters into the soil. And this has two main advantages. First of all, it adds strength to the structure of the pitch. So it supports more matches or more hours of use. So it increases the productivity of the pitch, let's put it that way. And also the synthetic fiber helps to connect the whole profile of the pitch from the top to the bottom. And in the bottom, what you have are the drainage system. As a matter of fact, this late August, when the tournament was held, It was the rainiest August in 78 years in Costa Rica. And all the matches were played. So the pitch was able to drain. Let me put you an example. Most teams at the Premier League in England, they play around 35, 36 home matches on a single season, on a nine-month single season. And at the National Stadium in Costa Rica, we played... 18 matches plus 12 complete training sessions that would account like 30 matches in 18 days. And that accounts for 40 hours of use per week. So that's like 10 times the use of a normal pitch at the Premier League. This was a real innovation for us. And of course, if you had used the, the natural pitch, it would have been completely destroyed by such a high use. Uh, at day one, it would be completely destroyed, exactly. Who won the World Cup? It, it was won by Spain uh, in a vibrant final against Japan, played under a fantastic atmosphere. And as any football manager will tell you, it's the result that matters. So, Claudia, are you now a grass fan like me? There's clearly more to football pitches than just green grass and white paint. 
Did I tell you I had a temporary job as a gardener? They asked me to paint the lines on football pitches. Were they straight? Some of them. The wobbly ones, though, must have had the wrong type of grass. Time for the final whistle. In this episode, we've learned that even what appears to be the most local parts of the football value chain, that is the pitch, can be global too. Next time you watch a professional match on TV, remember that under the players' feet there may be volcanic sand and grass seed that could have been developed more than 20 years ago. And when you hear before a major tournament that the organisers are not sure that the pitches are ready, just remember how tricky this task is for the pitch managers. The grass seed they ordered may not even be approved for import. In the next episode, we look at another indispensable item you need to play football. The players! If this is the first episode in the trade goals season of WTO's Let's Talk Trade podcast, don't worry, you haven't missed the action. You can still download previous episodes. In episode one, we introduced the team and the topics. And in episode two, we took you right across the world from Pakistan to Uruguay to look at trade in footballs. Join us next time for Let's Talk Trade.